Okay, we're going to start with the letter P and then go to letter Q. Q is not very long. Speaking of P, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. We're going to do letter P and we're going to do Q. Mind your P's and Q's, okay? Q is not very long. P is kind of a long one. It's a long P. I, I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere. I have no idea. Okay, I'm Ken Finnan, and I'm from Capital Vantage Tutoring, and it's my job to get you past all these licensing exams. The Series 7, the Series 6, all that stuff, and the 65, and the 66, just a mishmash of fucking words. Okay, um, let's get into it, and let's start on letter P. Okay, we're going to start with painting the tape. What is painting the tape? Painting. It's slapping trades on the tape to make it look like there's more trades. It's illegal. It's manipulation. It's an illegal manipulation of of the market. So you're putting trades on the tape to make it look like there's more trades or more activity than there is. Okay. Paid in surplus. Paid in surplus is when you issue shares for the first time, it's the amount above par. So par we'll get to par on a common stock is a dollar. So if you sell the stock for, if you issue the shares for 20 bucks a share, that's going to be $19 of paid in surplus or capital surplus. Okay. A paper profit or loss is an unrealized gain or loss. It's just on paper. We're not actually gaining or getting getting or losing anything. It's just on paper we win or lose. And that's what some people are trying to tax that, which would be impossible because what if it becomes a loss later and you already taxed it? Crazy shit. Okay. So par is like the par is like the face value, principal stated value. So in reality, the best way to think of it this way is par on a common stock is a dollar. It's an accounting tool. That's all it is. Par on a preferred is 100 normally, could be 25. It's whatever the company sets it as. And when you do the percentage, when you figure out how much they're getting paid, it's going to be a percentage of par, which is 100 on a preferred or 1,000 on a bond for the most part. They can change the par on a preferred to 25 or 50 or 10 or whatever they want. It can be any one of those things. So if you buy a 5% bond, a 5% preferred, it's going to be 5% of whatever par is. So if it's 100, it's $5. If it's $25 par and it's a 5%, it's going to pay you a buck and a quarter a year. So par is really just an accounting tool. It's what they use to measure the account, the value of the security. Not the market value, just the accounting value. Parity is the price, the market price where converted shares, once you total up, total up the value, is equal to the convertible bond market price. That's parity. If it's above parity, then it's probably worth converting. If it's lower, then it's not. Participating preferred, love this. Participating preferred is that if we have a normal preferred, it pays you 5% a year. If it's participating and we have a really good year, they'll actually increase the dividend for that one dividend, not every forever. So say we have in written in the indenture, not the indenture, in the prospectus and the participating preferred that if our earnings are over $5 a share, we give an extra 1% for that quarter. So what happens is if I'm normally a 5% preferred, and we hit that target, you'll get 6% that one dividend, and then it'll go back unless we keep hitting the targets. So participating preferred means that they will bump up your preferred coupon for that period, for that one time, based on in increased earnings of the company. What's a partnership? A partnership is a, is a business organization where at least two people, okay? Don't confuse limited partnership and general partnership. They're, they're versions of this, but a partnership is where more than one person, two or more people manage a business and they're all totally liable. So if it's a regular partnership, usually if they say partnership, they mean general partnership, which means everyone's liable as opposed to a limited partnership, which is the L's, 
um, where there's one limited partner who doesn't have risk beyond their investment, and then the general partner who has unlimited risk or personal risk. A partnership account is an account for a partnership. It's not two people. It's for a partnership. So what I just talked about a partnership, a partnership account is an individual account, but it's for a corporation. So it's the point I'm saying individual is not a joint account. It's not two people. It's the account for the partnership. And you have to have certain documents, the partnership agreement and all that stuff, plus a list of authorized individuals, the ones who can place trades and talk about the company, talk about the account. Pass through securities, pass through certificates. Pass through securities. Those are like mortgage-backed securities where we create a security and all the income coming in, like from the mortgage payments, if it's a mortgage-backed security, all the people paying the mortgages goes into the entity and it passes through to the investors. That's why it's called a pass-through. They take a little bit of a fee, but the money comes into the account and then it passes through to the investors. That's why it's called a pass-through security and most of them have prepayment risk and all that and your what they're passing through is all the dividend not the dividend what they're passing through is all the interest and principal payments that's what you're getting passive income it's a type of income that is from investing in limited partnerships or dpps where it's passive you can use pad you're going to pay taxes on passive income but any kind of passive losses okay so a passive loss can only be used against other passive gains. So if you have a loss or a write-off on a limited partnership or a DPP or direct investment in real estate, all passive, those passive losses can only be used to offset passive gains. They can be not used to offset your ordinary income. Passive management is when you're not trying to beat the market. You're mostly just rebalancing. You're, you think the market is efficient. You're not trying to beat the market. You're just buying it. And not it's not so much a buy and hold, but what you're doing is you're only going to um, rebalance. If you see the word rebalancing passive, you, every quarter or every time period, you're going to rebalance the portfolio to bring it back to the original percentages that you planned. It's not, you're not trying to take advantage of the markets or trying to find inefficiencies. You believe that the market is efficient, which means the price is right, that you're just going to buy and brought a market index of stocks and holding it. And you're not going to really change it unless something gets out of percentage. Not because you think the market's changing, just because you had set percentages and you want to bring them back to those numbers. So if you see the word rebalancing, usually that goes with passive or indexing or benchmarking. A pattern day trader is someone who does day trades. What's a day trade? A day trade is when you buy and sell a security in the same day, a day trade. If you do four round trips, day trades, in a five-day period, you're named as a pattern day trader and your margin requirements go up to $25,000 minimum, you can do four to one leverage. There's other things, but that's what a pattern day trader is. Someone who has done four round trips in a five day period, the broker dealer automatically does it. Your your leverage your um, leverage goes up, but also does your minimum equity if you wanna use margin. Okay, payable date or payment date, that's the day that the dividend actually gets paid. So you remember DERP declaration X, X date record payable. Payable is the date after the record date when they actually just send the check. P.E. ratio, P.E. ratio is, again, we're idiots, right? So it has to be in the thing. P.E. ratio is a price to earnings ratio. So that's market price divided by the earnings per share. Market price divided by the earnings per share. They also call it the multiple. So if you see a high multiple, high P.E., it's usually a growth stock, doesn't usually pay dividends. It's very volatile, more volatile. And then if you see a very low P.E. and they pay dividends, it's more of a value stock, undervalued, out of favor, stuff like that. 
Okay. Payment for order flow is when an introducing broker dealer, a small broker dealer sends orders to an executing broker dealer and the executing broker dealer rewards them for sending the order. They give them a little piece of the business. That's a payment for order flow. And the big thing is Robinhood got in trouble for this because they didn't disclose it properly. Okay. So now let me go back a little bit. Payable date is the day the dividend gets paid. But let's talk about payment date. That could also be considered when the dividend's paid, but also under Reg T, payment date is when the customer has to pay for the shares. And that's usually T plus four, S plus two, segment plus two, or T plus four. That's when the customer has to pay for it. So wait a second, guys, wait. Settlement is T plus two. That's when the broker-dealers settle. You have actually four days to pay. Okay. Payout option. Payout means like when an annuity or anything's paying out. But in this case, a payout option is when like an annuity is paying out, annuitizing, you're going to get paid out. I'm saying the same word over and over again. So you can choose like straight life, which means it'll stop paying when you die. You can do joint and last survivor, which it stops paying when the second person dies. Or life with period certain, it pays for life, but no, no less in a certain period. Okay. That's the payout option, the payout period, and the choices on a variable annuity. Okay. Pegging. Do not Google this. Please do not Google this. You will be scarred for life. Pegging, do not Google it. But in, on our, in our world, it's manipulation of a, you're trying to manipulate the price by keeping it at, you're pegging it to a price. You're trying to push it up or push it down to have it close at a specific price. It is a legal manipulation of a price. Pegging is bad. Don't Google it, please. Peak. Peak. I peaked in high school. No. Peak is basically if you have con uh, expansion, then before contraction, you hit the peak of the mountain, right? So peak is going, it's going up here. Kind of like where the inflation is starting to slow down a little bit, a little bit of disinflation. The GDP isn't rising as much during an expanding economy. So it's going up, but it's slowing down. It's going to head down the peak of the mountain. Boom. Okay. Okay. In case you ever have to, oh my God, I can't even say it. Pecuniary is relating to money. Boom. A penalty bid. A penalty bid is so when I'm an in, when I'm an underwriter, I'm the lead underwriter, and I and I'm doing what they call a syndicate bid, or I issue the shares, I have all my syndicate players allocate shares to their customers, and I'm buying shares to hold it up. That's a syndicate or a stabilizing bid. I'm allowed to do that. It's like manipulation that's allowed. But you're supposed to, as the members of my syndicate, you're supposed to sell your shares or allocate your shares to investors, not flippers, people who just sell it on the opening. So if I find out a lot of your shares are being resold immediately in the opening, I can enact a penalty bid where I start penalizing you by taking away your profits. So for every share that I buy from your customers, it's coming out of your profit, not mine. A pension plan, that's your qualified retirement account. Usually it's where the company puts money in and then when you retire, they pay you. Like my grandfather, when well, he worked for Kohler, he got paid until he died. He actually, till his wife died. They got paid every month, 800, 1,000, whatever it was a month. Um, every month for that, okay? So they got paid a pension, okay? But a pension plan has changed a little bit. For the most part, it is a um, contract between an individual and an entity, either the corporation or government, where they will pay you after you retire. It's a retirement plan. Penny stocks, penny stocks are, according to the SEC, are non-NASDAQ, which means over-the-counter securities trading under $5 a share. So remember, they're very speculative, very risky. There's a lot of rules around it. If it's under $5 and not on an exchange, it has to be both. So if it's under $5 and on an exchange, then it's not a penny stock. I mean, it could be, but let's go with on this test, no. So it has to be under $5 and non-NASDAQ, which means it's not trading on an exchange. It's over the counter. Personal property, 
basically it's non-real estate. So any kind of property you have that's not real estate. So like personal property is like, you know, if you have, you know, furniture and stuff like that. Performance-based fee. That's when an IA will charge a fee based on how the fund, how your account does. Okay. So performance-based fee is normally disallowed. I mean, it's disallowed unless the administrator allows it. They all do, but it's it's disallowed unless the administrator allows it. So you can charge a performance-based fee. It's like if they do better, you get a piece of that. Not only can you get an asset percentage of the assets under management, you can get a percentage of their profits. Now, a couple of things, capital gains, if you want to call it. On the state level, if you're going to do this as an IA, they have to be a qualified customer, which means they have to have at least 1.1 million um, assets under management with you or 2.2 net worth. That would be a qualified customer. What's a person? Okay, so a person is any kind of entity, individual that can sign a contract. It's easier to know what is in it. So think any fund, organization, unincorporated trust, government, political subdivision, anything. We're persons too, but we're we're natural persons. We're a firm, even a partnership, but unincorporated anything is a, is a legal person. But it's easier to remember what is in it Remember, so if it's a dead per a dead individual is not a person, an incapacitated, like mentally challenged, is not not me mentally incapacitated or under 18. So I remember the way I remember what's not a person as I go dead, dumb, don't touch. Personal income. It's a, an individual's total earnings from wages, bonuses, and all kinds of investments. Okay. Phantom income. Okay. Phantom income is like if you have a um a zero coupon and you have to accrete, you're going to pay taxes on that amount, even though you're not getting it. So phantom income is like you're paying taxes on money you're not getting. So if I buy an OID for like 600 bucks and it's 10 years to maturity, well, it's 40 bucks. I'm accreting. You have to do the math on this. I'm accreting 40 bucks a year for 10 years. Every year, they're increasing my cost basis by 40. I owe taxes on that unless it's a muni. So I'm getting taxes on shit I'm not seeing. So that's called phantom income. Placement ratio. This is so boring, but it's fine. Placement ratio is the is basically in the bond buyer it's all the bonds it placed i mean sold mean allocated to customers versus how many they issued okay and it's based on par value it's not on dollar it's not on the number of bonds it's on the dollar amount of bonds always remember that whenever they count bonds they don't say oh four bonds they say four thousand dollars worth of bonds they always do bonds based on dollar amount so the placement ratio is how many of these bonds that we issue have we actually allocated to customers a planned amortization class, a PAC. It's a CMO tranche. It's based on a CMO. You add these companion tranches to it, and it makes a pack, a planned amortization class. What you need to know is that it protects against both prepayment risk and extension risk. Prepayment risk and extension risk, it protects both. So you have a much more consistent payout level. Your income from this would be much more consistent than if you had something else like a TAC. A TAC protects against only prepayment risk and not extension. <clears throat> okay, if you hear the word point, on stocks, it means a dollar. On bonds, it means 10. So I would go like this. 100 basis points equals $10 equals 1% equals one point. 100 basis points equals $10 equals 1%, which equals one point. Political risk. Anytime you invest pretty much outside the U.S., you have a risk of that, right? that that doesn't mean upheaval or something like that. Look, the main Western countries in ours, I mean, if you go from Democrat to Republican or 
you know, a Whig party to something else, that's not really political risk. It's like there's going to be upheaval like what happened in Greece and Argentina and stuff like that. Maybe Venezuela. I don't know. I always forget the two. But when like in Cuba, that's the best one. When the company, when when Castro nationalized all the products, all the stuff that we had, all the oil companies and everything in there were taken over by the national government and it's gone. That's political risk. So if you invest outside the country, always look for political risk or currency or exchange risk. POP, public offering price. That's the price we offer it to the public. Or when you buy a mutual fund, that's the price you pay. That's NAV plus a sales charge calculated one time a day. So public offering price could be one for, an, for a new issue. Okay. For a new issue, I'm probably going to talk about later. A new issue, that's the price we offer it to the public. But on a mutual fund, it's NAV plus a sales charge equals the POP. Portfolio, it's just a, a group of securities that you're holding. That's all. Portfolio-based margin. It's like instead of having regular reg T, you and this is only for like the high-end companies, right? High-end people that have a lot of money, high-end net worth stuff. Um, your margin is based on the risk. They do a calculation based on the risk of your whole portfolio to determine your margin. So hopefully you won't have to put as much down. So you have to have a big, I think it's over half a million, something like that. If you have a big account, maybe it's 5 million. Who the hell knows? Numbers don't matter. Um, you're putting, you're using margin instead of having to put 50% all the time, they look at your portfolio and determine the net risk of all the, all the stocks and bonds together. And then they come up with a margin and it's usually going to be less than the 50%. So it does let you do leverage up a little bit more because you're taking less risk. Portfolio income is income generated from a dividend, interest and capital gains. It's also called investment income. Portfolio income is income from Dividends, interest, and capital gains. Okay. I do this all the time. Position limits. So what are position limits? Position limits are the total number of options you can have on the same side of the market, which means bulls with bulls, bears with bears, at any one time. So like some of the bigger companies, the max is like 175,000 contracts. So if you have 165,000, if you're long 165,000 calls, well, we're going to pair it up with the other bullish options selling puts. So if you have 165,000 calls, you can probably only sell 10,000 contracts of puts because they're bull. We compare, we match up the bulls with the bulls and the bears with the bears. Also, since we're on this, there's a thing called exercise limits. That's the most amount of options on a single side that you can exercise in any five-day period. A portfolio manager is either the IA or somebody who is managing a mutual fund or a portfolio makes sense. Usually it's an IA managing a mutual fund. I think it has to be an IA managing a mutual fund. But the point is a portfolio manager is the entity or the firm, or in, I guess it's an individual that is managing a portfolio. A positive yield curve. I think I did the other one. A positive yield curve is, I think I've done this, where you have, here's the interest rates. Here's the year, the years. It's a positive means it goes from lower to shorter terms have lower yields to the longer terms, longer maturities have higher yields. That's a positive sloping yield curve. Okay, power of attorney. There's limited and full. Power of attorney has to be in writing for for broker dealers at least. IAs can get up to 10 days of verbal power of attorney, then they have to get it. But power of attorney lets the registered rep select either the buy, sell, the amount, or the shares. Asset, action, and I don't know what the other one, amount. If they, if you're the rep, choose either the buy, sell, or the amount, or the security, 
you have to have power of attorney in hand and writing, broker dealer side. Now, limited power of attorney means you can do any suitable trade, but you can't pay bills, you can't touch the money. Full power of attorney means you can do any suitable trade, plus you can pay bills and remove money, withdraw money, just stuff like that. But all of them end once you're in, once you're considered incapacitated or a coma, it ends, or if you die, or if you're revoked. <clears throat> Durable power of attorney still ends at death, but if you're considered incapacitated or in a coma, it'll still work. Now, there's one that shows up that may not be on here called springing power of attorney. I've done um, a couple of videos on this. Springing power of attorney means if I'm normal now, but I'm worried that if I get into have dementia, incapacitated, I want somebody to watch my account. So I'll name my daughter on the account. She does not have access now. But once I'm considered incapacitated or mentally challenged or whatever it is, then the, the, the power of attorney kicks in. So it springs in the future. Preemptive right. That's a right of common shareholders to maintain their percentage ownership. So if the company issues, if you own shares of a company and they issue more shares, the preemptive right will allow you to maintain your percentage ownership. And the thing is, they're very short term. Now, to maintain it, you still have to buy shares, but they allow you to buy shares less than the last, less than where it's trading at a discount. And it's only good for like 25, 30, maybe 40 days. You get it for free. If you do get it, you can let it expire. Moronic, but you can. You can sell it or trade it, same thing. You can give it as a gift, or you can exercise it, which means buy more shares. Preferred stock is a type of equity. It's, it is a type of equity that has a fixed dividend. It is preferred because it gets paid before the common in every way. Whether it's a liquidation or just paying out dividends, you cannot pay the common unless the preferred is paid. So it comes ahead of you, okay? It has a um, usually a par value of 100 or maybe 25. It pays a fixed dividend. Remember, dividends are not guaranteed, so they can go screw it, we're not paying you. But if it's going to get paid, they have to get paid before the common does. Okay. It's not income. It's, it's a fixed income, but it's not a debt. Remember that it is equity, but it is considered fixed income. It has literally all the same uh, risks as bonds, interest rate risk, inflation risk, re uh, call risk, reinvestment risk, all that stuff. A couple of things about preferred real quick. They usually, big one is they don't have voting rights. Normally they don't have voting rights. That's a big one. And they don't participate in, um, in stock splits and stuff. They just don't because it's only for common. A preliminary prospectus, also known as a red herring. Red herring is a preliminary prospectus. That's a disclosure doc that's kicked out, during, distributed to all the customers or potential customers because you can't buy anything during the registration period, that 20-day cooling off period. It does not have the final date or final price on it. It really can't. It has almost everything else that the statutory prospectus does, but it is not considered an offer for sale. It'll actually stay on the sideline. This is a preliminary prospectus. This is not an offer for sale. Only only sales can be made through a prospectus, which is a prospectus, which is a disclosure doc. I'll talk about it now. A regular prospectus, a statutory or final, is the one that's done after the stock has been declared effective. And you have to send that to everyone no later than confirmation or completion of the trade, which is really T plus two. That's a disclosure doc. You can send these things an email or a link. As long as a paper copy is available, you can send them a link or a PDF of the prospectus. Okay, premium, couple of things here. Premium is the amount. The premium is the amount that a bond is trading above par. That's that. So that's the first one. It's the amount that the bond's market price is above par. So if it's at 104, it's a $40 premium. The other premium is the cost of an options contract. When you buy a 50 call at four, the $4 is the premium. It's what you paid for the contract. Now it's really four times 100, 400 bucks. But 
premium is what you pay for an option contract or, or receive when you sell one, or it's the amount above par on a bond. Prepayment risk. If you have a mortgage-backed security, the risk is that if rates drop, people will refinance their mortgages and you'll get your money back sooner than expected and you don't want that. So prepayment risk is a risk that if rates drop, the bond, the um, the mortgage-backed security will be paid off early and you'll get your money back sooner than, than you wanted to. That goes along with extension risk is that rates go up and people don't refinance like now, so you're stuck in this, this mortgage-backed security that's not paying so great. Pre-refunded advance, so pre-refunded, advance refunding, defeasing the debt, escrow to maturity, all mean the same thing. I just did a video on this, depending when you're watching this. It's what happens is it's not the same as refunding. Refunding is just buying the bond, issuing a new bond and buying it back. Pre-refunding is I have a $10,000 bond paying 5%, rates drop to three. I would like to issue a new 3% bond instead of paying the five. But since it's not callable or not callable yet, I can't pay it off. So I'm going to issue the bond anyway at the lower rate, take the 10000 from issuing that bond and put it in an escrow account and buy treasuries. I will buy enough treasuries that they will kick off enough interest that it'll pay my old bond. So if I have issued a $10,000 bond at 5%, I'm paying 500 a year, I will buy $10,000 worth of 5% treasuries. And as it pays, it'll pay off the old bond. I have a much better video on that. But that's a pre-refunded, advanced refunding to fees in the debt. Present value. It's so we need to know future value. So if you have a future value, present value is what you need to invest now to get based on a certain interest rate to get to that number. It's the expected price. So if you have a zero coupon for a thousand, the present value is what we expected to be trading at now. But but the de literal definition is the amount of money that you need to invest now at a given rate to get to future value. A pre-sale order is when you're buying munis at the when somebody's buying munis or a firm is buying munis at an auction. When we first, so what happens is a notice of sale comes out, the underwriter, not the underwriter, the, the issue where we'll say, hey, we're issuing a bond, all the different underwriting syndicates will bid on the issue. And during that time, if you place an order with one of the syndicates, even before they've won the deal, you get priority. That's called a pre-sale order. A price spread or a vertical is when you have a spread and the strikes are different than months or not. So that's a vertical spread. So no horizontals when the months are different, and the strikes are the same. And a diagonal is with both the months and the strikes are different. So again, a price spread or vertical spread is a spread by a call, sell a call, where the strikes are different, not the months. A primary dealer is a dealer who basically deals with the Federal Reserve, I keep saying, who does who trades government securities with the Federal Reserve. They are a primary dealer. A primary distribution is when an issuer sells shares or bonds, whatever it is, and they receive the money. So that's a primary as opposed to a secondary, which is when one of the investors, one of the shareholders gets the money, okay? Or even a secondary market trade. Primary, also even a first, second, third, fourth. If the company is getting the money, the proceeds from the sale of the bonds or the shares, that's a primary offering. Primary market is where new issues are sold. That's literally what it is. The primary market is where new issues are sold and underwrote, underwriting. Secondary market is where shit trades. The prime rate, what's the prime rate? It's the rate, it's like of all the rates we know, it's, you know, PBDF, Pretty Boys Drive Ferraris, right? The prime rate, it goes prime rate, then broker loan, then discount, then Fed funds. But prime rate is the rate that the banks lend to their best customers, okay? Now, if I wanted to buy, if I wanted to borrow money from a bank, they go, ooh, Ken, here's prime plus four. So prime rate's 5%, I'd have to pay nine. But prime rate is like their base rate that the banks lend to their best customers. Prime brokerage, I've done videos on this, but a prime broker 
is a big broker dealer that does all all the margin, all the holding the securities and deliver and all that stuff for sophisticated clients, like mostly for hedge funds and stuff. So a hedge fund will have a, you know billions of dollars. They will hold it at a prime broker. And when they do trades with very broker dealers, uh, other than the prime, the prime broker will send the shares of the money to those broker dealers to upsettle the trade. Basically, they're holding the securities and the money for the customer and facilitating trades for them. They have a minimum net cap of 1.5 billion, no 1.5 million. Principal, the guy I saw every morning at school. Okay, so now the princi principal transaction is when you use your when you use your own inventory. When a broker dealer uses their own inventory to, or their own money to buy and sell shares to facilitate trades, that's a principal trade. Also, a principal is a supervisor at a broker dealer. Again, back to this, a principal transaction, same thing is where the broker dealer uses their own inventory to buy or sell to facilitate a trade. And they usually charge, if you see principal, you think dealer, you think markup, markdown. PDM, baby, PDM. Private placement is like a reg D. Private placement is where you sell to just usually accredited investors and a small amount of unaccredited investors. You don't have to, it's an exemption from the registering with the Act of 33, but there's rules like you have to hold it for, for six months fully paid, unless you sell to a quib and then you can do less. But the point is private placements are not going through the normal public. They still have to have an offering circular, an offering mem memorandum, private placement memorandum, whatever you want to call it. But they're they're not registering to the Act of 33. So you can only sell to certain types of investors, pretty much accredited. And again, up to a small 35, maybe up to 35 non-accredited. Since we're selling it to sophisticated people, they're allowing us not to have to go through the Act of 33. Okay, a private securities transaction is when you do when you work for a firm like a broker dealer and you do trades either in your own brokerage account or you do you act as a registrar for like a friend of yours. Like if a friend of yours comes up to you and says, Hey, I'm doing this new app. I want you to raise money for me. I'll pay a commission. That would be considered a private securities transaction. If you did it without permission, it's called selling away. If you did it with permission, it's called a private securities transaction. A proceeds transaction is when you say, okay, I'm going to, I call you up and say, hey, John, go sell my IBM and then use that money to buy GE. You're doing it in one transaction. Okay. Profit sharing plan is a employer contribution plan. For the most part, we don't, employer employees don't contribute. But based on certain profits or certain numbers, they will, they can put what they want in there. A lot of times, they can, even if you don't make profit, they can put money in. But the company puts money in and they're not beholden to putting a certain amount of money in at any time. It's based on profits and stuff like that. A progressive tax means the more you make, the more they take. That's why I've done the videos with the tax brackets. Like the first 11 grand, you, the first 18 grand you earn is taxed at a certain rate. 18 to 82 is taxed at another rate. 82 and up is taxed at a different rate. So the more you make, the more they take, as opposed to regressive, which is like a sales tax, so it hurts the poor people more. Proxy is a, like when you let someone else vote your shares for you. So it's a limited power of attorney. You're, if you can't get to a shareholder meeting, you're going to let somebody else vote in your stead. A proxy statement is when the broker dealer sends you the information so you can make your own decision and then you can decide whether you're going to let somebody else make your vote for you. A protective call is when you're short shares, you buy a call to protect it. A protective put is when you're long shares, you buy a put to protect that. The prudent man rule is a standard of investing. It used to, they used to have these legal lists where every state had a list 
of securities that you could buy for these custodian or guardian accounts. So now they use the prudent man rule, which is like, what would a prudent man do? It's basically using common sense to decide, which also means that any any security that you think is suitable, you can put in an account. Like there's no rule on what securities you can and can't do. I mean, with IRAs, there are. But for the most part, when you're investing, if you think futures are good or options are suitable, then go for it. Okay, a publicly traded fund is like a closed-end fund. It's in, it's an investment company, but it actually trades on the exchange, unlike a mutual fund, which you buy and sell from the company. Purchase and power risk is the same thing as inflation. The fact that over time, if you invest in fixed income, your dollar won't buy your money won't buy as much as it used to. That's purchase and power risk. You can't buy as much. So the best hedge against that is pretty much common stock or gold. A pipe, a private investment in a public offering. Okay. That's basically where, like, say a group of accredited investors or quibs will go to, like, Home Depot and say, hey, we want to buy 30 million shares, $30 million worth of your stock on a private private placement, and they'll do that and they'll buy it. The problem is they have to hold it for six months fully paid so they don't dilute the market, okay? It is restricted for six months. That's the big thing about it, okay? And the reason we do this is it's a way to put, inject money into a company. But remember, the company's already trading public. So we're just doing a private investment in a public entity. Okay. A purchaser's rep is usually goes with the right deal. If you're like unaccredited or not sophisticated enough, usually you'll bring in a purchaser's rep, not someone involved to getting commission on the deal, like an accountant or a lawyer or another registered rep that you're friends with that can explain the risks and rewards of investing in a certain reg D offering. A put is an option, a piece of paper. A put is the is an option that gives you the right to sell at a certain price for a certain amount of time. So if you buy a put, you're bearish. And if you sell a put, you're on the other side, you're obligated to buy the stock. So again, if I buy a put, I'm bearish. I have the right to sell. If I sell a put, that's the other side of the contract. I'm obligated to buy the stock if the buyer of the put makes me do it. A pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme, those are all like um, the manipulation. That's not good. That's a crime. Okay, that's the P's, baby. That's the P's. I think I got all the P's, right? I get all the P done. Good, I'm glad. Wait for the shake. Sorry. Okay, now, that's a line from History of the World, part one. Okay. The Q's. Mind your P's and Q's. Not a lot. So a quib, a qualified institutional buyer. This is the Q's, baby. Q's, Q's, Q's. Okay? So qualified institutional buyer. This is an institution. It's not an individual. It's never an individual that has at least $100 million under management. Okay? Now, if it's a broker-dealer, it could be $10 million. But for any financial institution that manages at least $100 million, and they're professionally doing it, they are equipped. And they get to do a lot of things. They usually can buy restricted shares during 140, under 144A. Qualified legal opinion. So if I have a legal opinion, which is we, if I'm going to issue a, a revenue bond, the bond counsel or lawyer is going to issue a, a legal opinion. Unqualified is good. Unqualified means there's no issue. Qualified means there's some sort of problem with the deal and it, need, it probably needs to be fixed. A qualified plan as a retirement plan, which has tax-deductible contributions, it's covered under ERISA, you can't discriminate, the money grows tax-deferred, we know all this shit, and you have the earliest you can take it out is 59 and a half, and you're going to have an RMD of 73. Also, remember, since you haven't paid taxes on any of this yet, and it's non-discriminatory, which means you have to offer to every full-time person over 21, the, the money grows tax-deferred, when you take it out, you pay tax on everything. A QDRO, Qualified Domestic Relations Order. 
This is a court order. Like, say I'm married and I get caught, whatever, doing something really, really gross, okay? And my wife goes, screw you, get out of here. If I've been putting in my money in my 401k for the 30 years, well, she's entitled to some of it. But if she doesn't have this QDRO and she tries to take it out, she's going to pay a penalty. So this goes to a court and says, hey, Mrs. Finnan can take, ex-Mrs. Finnan, the first Mrs. ex-Mrs. Finnan, my first ex-wife, can um, take money out of the for to put in her own IRA or own her own IRA without paying the penalty. And so if you have an 401k, they won't let you take that out without a penalty unless that's there. Okay. So a qualified person is an individual under these state laws that is allowed to get cap um performance-based fees attached to their accounts if you allow it. A qualified person has either 1.1 million assets under management or 2.2 net worth. A qualified tuition plan is basically a 529. QTP, it's a 529. A qualified cash dividend is when you buy shares of a common or preferred and maybe some, maybe ETFs. Um, if you hold it for at least 60 days before and after the X date, it's not qualified, which means you owe taxes on it, but it's going to be at the lower, almost the capital gains rate, the 10, the 15 to 20%. So if you own a stock long enough, that's why it's tax efficient. You may not pay tax on the common stock till you sell it. And after time, your dividends are taxed at a much lower rate. Quick asset ratio, okay? Quick asset ratio, quick test, quick ratio, asset test, all mean the same thing. It's a pretty stringent measure of liquidity because it takes all the current assets minus inventory divided by the current liabilities, okay? So normal current ratio is current assets over current liabilities. The quick test, the quick ratio, quick asset ratio, the asset test, the quick, whatever it is, a quick ratio, all mean the same thing, and they mean you're going to take the current assets, subtract inventory, and then divide by current liabilities. A quote, a quote is basically a bid and an offer, right? I'm quoting the bond as a bid, as an offer. That's my quote. Okay. Usually market makers or broker dealers do that. And that's the Qs, baby. So Ps and Qs, not so bad. The next one up is, what is after Q? R. R is a big one. It might be a standalone. It's like four fucking pages. Wow, R is going to be on its own. Hopefully, I'll get that out over the weekend. Guys, thank you so much. Don't forget to join. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this shit, okay? Also, um, check out every Tuesday and Thursday, I do a live Q&A. Ask questions on any Finner exam. It's free, baby, free. Okay, talk to you all later.